And then we get really frustrated that we're not giving the budget we need. We're not giving getting given the headcount we need. We're not in, being invited to the table where business decisions are being made. And I think our natural humanistic response is we're being mistreated. We're not given what we need, but we need to take a bit of ownership ourselves and say, well, are we creating this? Are we you know, making this happen because we're not making it approachable? Welcome to 33 Tangents, a weekly podcast featuring a rotating panel of co-hosts that all work together in the same company, but live in different areas of the world. The discussions cover a wide variety of topics from digital analytics to working remotely to current happenings in business and technology. Our regular day-to-day conversations often go off in various directions, and the goal of this podcast is to share our ideas and find new ways to engage with others. So how was your Thanksgiving? Dude, I was so sick. I ate, I ate, I overate. Oh, okay. That kind of sick. (laughs) (laughs) I I, seriously, like the second half of Thanksgiving day, I just want to, I just laid on the couch watching TV. Like I couldn't move. I'm like, I, and I'm usually a pretty good eater and, and like can balance it, but there was so much goodness. I, I had to try a little of everything and I'm like, yep. Shouldn't have done that. <laughs> so, yeah. How was yours? Any major injuries in the turkey bowl? Nope, nope, nope. Um, no, no, no injuries. Um, but I'll tell you, it, it's funny. Because um, I, I think I'd mentioned in our internal Slack channel that this started out 14 years ago as just myself and a couple of my cousins just getting together to like a local high school football field and um, just playing football for an hour or two before going off to, to our various spots for, for dinner. And it quickly ballooned into like the entire family showing up, um, yeah. aunts, uncles. And now 14 years later, you've got our kids are there playing and like my nephew actually played with us this year. And I remember back to the first couple of years, my uncles were playing. So it, it, it's, it's fun to see. Um, but it was funny the first couple of years, my cousins were much younger because mm. I'm the oldest of all of the cousins there. So like they were young and in high school and in college. So they were like, you know, they were just running up and down the field. Now watching it this year, like age is starting to catch up with them. They're all <laughs> in their early thirties now. And, you know, they're all feeling it. You could say yeah. like at one point I'm lining up against one and he's there he's like come on let's just let's not do anything crazy i'm like all right i'm fine with that like but then one play i just sprint off the line and he is just like what was that i said i got one in me and that was (laughs) (laughs) got one in me and that was it i i I got just a surprise and you know so no no major injuries like nobody nobody pulled anything nobody tore anything that's good so all good did so I see you guys do. had Matt? You guys had team colored shirts. Did I see that? We do every year. Like we 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 divvy up into to two teams, and we get um, one of my cousins arranges for t shirts to be printed, and we go with we go with colors. So this year we went with red and blue for the Phillies. Um, we went with um, like high school colors one year, and and yeah, so we have all these various colors. I think 
the year the Eagles won the Super Bowl, I think we went with a like green and silver. Or like the, the the Turkey Bowl following the year the Eagles won the Super Bowl. Awesome. So so lots of fun. Good and then stuff. from there we went to to my 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 in-laws and then up to my mom's for for the first Thanksgiving at her new house. Nice. Very good. Sounds like a full menu, if you will. Yeah, yeah. It was uh, it was a good day. Good. Good. Back in the flow now. Yep. Yeah. And it's like, what's that? No, no, no. Go. I was just going to say, it, it, we're now into December, which, you know, December is, I mean, over. Let, let's just admit yeah. it. Like, we're, yeah. we're, you know, everybody's winding down. Like, in two weeks, most people are going to start taking vacation. So it's, it's going to be January before we know it. Yeah, it's crazy. And while there is a lot of last minute running around, especially for lots of companies, their fiscal year ends the 31st. So you have a lot of like last minute hurry up around budgeting. But from a project's work perspective, I'm already feeling it like it's that kind of, eh, we're just trying to crawl across the finish line before we can take some time off for, for the holidays. So Yeah, and I mean, I get it. Like a bunch of the clients I'm involved with, they're all like, Let, let's start planning for January. Like, let's not get anything too crazy started in December, knowing most people are going to be in and out of the office. Yep. So they're not going to be able to truly focus. So yeah, it's buttoning things up for for the rest of the year and then really start to hit the road or hit, hit the ground running in, in January. Yep. Yep. And I could, uh, I could use a few days off. I, I haven't looked at our, uh, tracker in, um, notion, which I have like zero days in there. So I'm, you I'm do, bad, cause I was looking at it the other day. I'm a bad, bad example. So I, I was talking to Jen earlier. She's like, I got to cram a few more days in so I get to my minimum days off. So <laughs> next year, clearly we need to be better about spreading that out across the, uh, the year so yeah well it, it is interesting uh i was talk, talking to a few other folks in there because john and i have already started thinking about you know for next year or at least early in january i already have my trips booked for the year nice um you know like uh, mostly um all in the summer so i have a bunch of time already booked in there and and everything while well, a few others are like at this point i just kind of wing it so yeah, yeah i definitely want to and so for those who haven't heard some of our previous episodes, we did a series um, about paid time off and specifically unlimited uh, paid time off. And is it is it a bait and switch? Is it not all that it's um, cracked up to be? And, you know, I think that was one of those episodes um, for the two of us, like the light bulb went off as we were talking and the argument we were making is, as you see a lot of these companies offering unlimited pay time off, um, but you're, you're starting to see people really find it to be a gimmick. Either it's you're taking away an earned benefit that if I leave the company and have time in the bank, I get paid out for. But then you also see people that, and I've worked for an organization in the past like this, where it was unlimited, but you got the, uh, you got the look if you were taking time off. Like, what do you mean you're taking time off? And it really wasn't unlimited. Um, So the the outcome from that is it was really to put a firm, um, put a firm definition around by what we mean by unlimited time off and put some, some accountability on, on both sides, both on leadership side, but also on the individuals um, in the form of a minimum. 
um, and keeping track of that, making sure that we are taking time off so that um, it is something that people actually use. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then we've, you know, we've, and I don't want to turn this into a PTO discussion, but it is such an important topic in downtime and walking away. And I posted a video this morning about the importance of walking away from our desk. You know, we're, we're, we're trying really, really hard to live and then show the world that we need to break these bad habits of, of work that we're, we're in, that there's, there's more to, to, to life and to work than just sitting in front of your keyboard for eight hours a day. So, um, yeah, for, forcing people to take time off and have balance has been a a critical part of what we do. And I think we're just getting started. There's lots of ideas we, we're still continuing to mm-hmm. to discuss around how we can continue to to make that kind of work and life and the whole relationship a healthier uh, thing for for everybody. Yeah. Um, so so where where this started was you were mentioning a Notion page. So we use the tool Notion for all various bits of internal documentation, engagements, um, meeting notes, um, just internal policies and procedures. And we have a page in there for, for out of office. And the way I've talked to, to some of the recent additions, uh, the new team members who've joined us, um, it's not a requesting time off. Um, because I think you and I have definitely worked for those organizations where you have to put your time in. You have to know like when you're taking time off at the start of the year. So you, you can request it so that you get a, get approved for it. it. It's not that at all. If anything, it's a, let's log it so that we're able to see who is taking advantage of it and who isn't. And then that leads to a little bit of a reminder. It's been some time, make sure you, uh, you, you, you get a break in. Yeah. We again, I think we've tried to take this opposite approach of being a bait and switch to saying, no, 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 we're going to make this public. So you feel a little bit of pressure that you're taking the time off we want you to take off. So yeah, hopefully, hopefully the team has been okay with that. Cause it's again, you know, I think it's one of the things that we pride ourselves on doing is, especially as lots of companies jump on the bandwagon of trendy things. Um, and, um, they say we do these things, but they don't actually do it. You know, we want to do it. We want to live it um, and embrace it and not just be a a marketing thing that, Oh, we do this. Like, no, we actually do it. And, and here's the thing. You can't enforce a policy like that. If you don't have the data to see if uh, people are actually following through or not. Yeah, that's right. That's that's absolutely right. Yeah. So, which gives me my, my segue into our, our topic for today. So with today's episode, um, we're, we're definitely starting to, to wrap up the year. Um, I want to wrap up our theme around data literacy. So we, we've spent a few episodes talking about like what is data literacy, the various components of it, issues caused when groups or individuals lack it or purposely try to confuse others. Um, so I want to talk a bit about teaching data literacy. You know, how can it be taught? Um, what resources exist that want to fill gaps with with their own data literacy? And I ask those questions in the context of some of the conclusions we've started to come to in the episodes leading up to this one. Really, where going into this topic, it may have seemed like it was something like talking about like, well, learn this st- stats language or, you know, um, get yourself familiar with certain you know, 
mathematical practices for, for lack of a better term, um, that maybe you're, you're not as, um, up to speed on. But what we found is it's, it's not any of those technical skills. It's, it's more of the, you know, to use a cliche, the soft skills, it's the ability to, to take a moment and not just assume something is what it is based on what you see actually start to ask questions, poke holes in it, and not just take what people have given you or that you've read at, at face value. So what are some of your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, and I think it's a lot of the, you, you talk a lot about some of the things that we thought about when we wrote an illustrated A is for analytics. And the whole idea behind it was as analytic profesh, analytics professionals, we need to make data literacy more approachable and data in general more approachable. And I don't think, while I think there are some of us, um, some individuals, some agencies, some companies that do go out of their way to make what they do seem overly complicated as a, I guess, gatekeeping type of thing. Like this is our realm, you guys stay out. Um, I th- But I think in, in, in general, we just don't think about it. We just don't think that the way we talk, and this is true of, of really any discipline, you know, when you go talk to someone that's a doctor or a mechanic or, you know, fill in the blank, if if they're not being empathetic with the fact that, oh, I'm talking to, you know, Jim, who's never, you know, done a reconstructive knee surgery and I'm using all these terms and things that he doesn't understand, you know, again, I'm, I don't think most people are doing that as a gatekeeping way. It's just that's our language and that's how we speak. But to an outsider, that's very off-putting, like it's 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 very unapproachable. And so when we wrote the children's book, it really is for people when people ask, they're like, who's this for? I'm like, well, anyone like zero to 99, like it's really for anyone that doesn't have a background in, in data in that we've made it very approachable. And I think we have that obligation as analytics professionals to make what we do, what we do more approachable for, by everyone within our organizations. And, and I don't think we're doing that. And so you know, if you are an analytics professional listening to this podcast, I think it's your duty to help build data literacy within your teams and your organizations. And by doing that, we don't do that by flexing our, well, let me tell you about the statistical model formula, but in a complexity thing, so I sound really, really smart. You do that by finding a way to make what we do more approachable. And I'm not talking about dumbing it down. I'm not talking about, you know, making it like, how do I explain this to my grandma? I'm talking about truly thinking from a language standpoint, how we can bridge this gap from someone that has no experience to us that has 20 and 30 years experience. How can we bridge that gap and communicate on a level in which we're embracing them instead of pushing them away? I think that's where it has to start. And again, I think it's really important that I repeat this, that I don't think that by and large, most people are doing this to keep people out. I just think that we don't slow down enough to think about the fact that the people in our organizations that we're talking to simply don't have the same level of experience that we do in this realm, just as we don't have the same level of experience as lots of other professionals in other realms. And we would want that same level of empathy and care if we were discussing a topic that we have very little understanding of. Yeah. I, I love how you, how you, you described it that way being that, that, that bridge, because, um, to, to draw a parallel, um, throughout my career, when I've been my most successful, it's playing that role between the business and the technical side. For some reason, I just found this 
innate skill to be able to talk to both and make both work together successfully. Um, and what, what are you laughing at? I, I'm laughing because it reminds me of, of office space, but while they're mocking it and making fun of it, it is so, so true. Right. Like I'm thinking of the, the scenes, like, so you take the requirements from the customer and you hand it to the engineer. Why can't the engineer just talk to the customer? Yeah. Well, they can't. That's the simple answer. They yes. can't. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, the, the times where I've come into a situation where that person like myself does not exist, you find the business and the tech teams at each other's throats. They're frustrated with each other because they're not, you know, to your point, they're not trying to be gatekeepers and not share information. They don't know how to talk to each other. Yeah. They don't know how to share that. They, they don't have a common language. Um, and coming in and being that, that, that transa- translation layer between the two makes them work better. And sometimes like when I've done my job well enough, sometimes the type of engagement is, is come in, fix the scenario, help these two work together. And then at that point, I may not longer, no longer be needed at that point. I'm redundant. But when I come in, there's a problem because they can't talk to each other. Yeah. And so they're, they're arguing with each other. They're fighting with each other or worst case, one is taking advantage of, of the other, you know, like I, I will say, I have seen some architects take the perspective of, you don't know what this is. I'm not going to spend the time to tell you what it is. So I'm just going to tell you it can't be done. Or the business, on the other hand, I've seen it too, where it's like, we're the ones that control revenue. I'm going to escalate this up till you just do what I say. And I don't want to hear why it could be an issue or why it should be done a different way. Yeah. And I think I've shared this story on previous episodes, but I think it's worth resharing. This was this concept or idea was cemented for me when I was working client side running analytics um, for, for Spark Networks, which was a collection of online dating sites. Um, very, very early in my tenure there, um, I, I brought in a, a few members of our data science team uh, to the executive readout that, that I had um, every, every month with the executive team to talk about the health of the, the business from a data perspective. And while the data science team and I spoke a similar language, language, clearly it was a much different language than what the executives spoke. And I was super excited about the work and the models that they were uh, building that were forecasting lifetime value of our, of our customers. And I wanted to highlight that. So I brought them to the executive readout and they're, you know, talking about all this complex statistical modeling and calculations they've done. And I'm all giddy over there in the corner. I'm like, this is so awesome. You know, and the meeting ends and I'm walking down the hallway and the, the CEO literally grabs me and pulls me into an empty office um, and says, never, ever invite them back to a meeting with us again. I'm like, what? And he's like, that was a disaster. And I didn't realize what I had done was, you know, brought them in and they were speaking my language and I was excited, but they were speaking a complete foreign language that just was the executive team felt was a complete waste of time. And it wasn't what they were talking about wasn't valuable. It's just we were unable to communicate together. And the reason that I was sitting in that monthly readout is I was that bridge. I took the requirements from the customer and took them to the engineers uh, because I was able to make that translation in language to something that was more meaningful for, for our executive team.
Yeah, and that's where um, you know I, I'm thinking of of examples just just in everyday everyday life where people just just assume what is is being told to them is is accurate. You know, so yeah, in, in some cases it's the wow, this is really advanced language. So whatever they're saying, it just it just must be right. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to, to think twice about it. I'm not going to try to understand like, what, what are you trying to say? Or what are you trying to get to? Um, but then I, I see the flip side of it being not understanding the language, or at least the basic concepts um, of it. They don't know when to ask questions or, or if there's reason to place doubt. Um, Again, like we keep giving examples that aren't necessarily related to this, but they're all parallels. So, yeah, and and again, yeah. I think this is part of communication: is that we, whoa, <laughs> we want to <laughs> we want to give examples that hopefully are resonating with not only the people that are listening to this podcast that get it, but maybe people that are on the edges or in other areas that may, for some reason, be listening to our podcast. We want to help communicate with them as well, and that's that's what we're talking about. In in order for us to teach data literacy. We have to make it approachable. And, and I think, again, far too often, we're shutting people out, not deliberately, we're not trying to do this, but just the way we approach it and speak is turning people off and turning them away from wanting to learn. And so unless we open that door and embrace them, trying to raise the level of data literacy, and I feel and I realize I'm an Italian all of a sudden, um, hands are... Um, <sighs> Now I got sidetracked because I'm thinking of our Italian traditions around Christmas with the banya cauda and the garlic and the butter. and the... I know, I know. You, you tease me every year with the banya cauda. <laughs> um, you know, we have to make it approachable. Otherwise, we're, we're going to be very, very frustrated t- trying to teach to an audience that is either t- tuning us out or is simply not there because we, we haven't embraced them. And, um, you know, I felt this a lot growing growing up. So my 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 dad um, own owns a lot of rental properties, and in his younger years, did all of the maintenance and work himself. And I was really interested in it and wanted to go work with him, but and and he wanted me to help him and work, but he would get really frustrated with me because I didn't speak the language, even on things that sound maybe really simple now or to him, like go get a screwdriver that looks like this or go get the, that tool. I'm like. I don't know what it means. So I'd come back with something that wasn't it. And he would just get frustrated. He's like, that's not what I told you to get. I told you to get this. I'm like, I have no idea what the hell you're talking about. <laughs> like, you know, you have to like find a way to communicate with me or teach me in such a way that this, this thing that is foreign to me is approachable and then I'll embrace it, you know, but if not, then it's like, well, I don't want to get yelled at. I don't want to feel stupid that I don't know what I'm, that I don't know what I'm doing or talking about. And you know, again, that's a very similar thing to how we need to think about approaching data literacy is that we we have to be really, really empathetic that if we're not careful, we can make people feel stupid or uncomfortable or like, I shouldn't be here. And, and that's the last thing we want to do. Like, we want to embrace them. We want to help them learn. But if we're going to go in with all our fancy talk and, you know, flex our muscles that we know all this, the, all the maths and the stats, we're, we're going to fail sub- spectacularly in teaching data literacy. Yeah. So in, in high school, um, believe it or not, like I think the teachers that made the best impression upon me were in high school, not college. Um, I've talked recently, you know, in the last couple episodes about the 
the one math teacher I had sophomore year that like, you know, you just couldn't give an answer to. You had to explain how you reached it. Senior year, I took physics in, you know, for my science class. Um, I think most times like sciences, you just have like three, three required science classes. So a lot of times people won't take, you know, science senior year. I took physics as, as an elective and I had the best teacher. I mean, he was, he was phenomenal, Mr. Williams. And, you know, he started off the year with like, do I hope many of you decide to go into the sciences? Yes. Do I think many of you are? Probably not. You're going to go into various careers. I'm not going to teach you as if you're going into the science field and you need to know everything by heart. He goes, my goal here is, is to get you interested but then also, so you understand the concepts and how concept, the concepts of physics apply to everyday life. He goes, so what does that mean? You're not going to be memorizing formulas. Before a test, I will have all the formulas up on the board that you will need to solve the problems. The idea is then I don't want you just wrote, you know, wrote memorizing uh, the formulas and just writing calculations. I want you to understand the concepts. And I'm like, yeah, of course, you know, 17 year old me is like, Shit. Okay, this is gonna be easy. <laughs> Memorize it, but it made it, it made such a great impact that now, twenty five years later, you know, like there are certain things that just stick with me. And there's again, there's one of these days where he's up there teaching. He's talking about the principles of force, and he's like, you know, of course he's going, you know, the concept side and the formula side, going back and forth. And he's like, Mister Driscoll, why does a knife cut bread but a hammer smash it? And I just like. Uh, I'm, I just sat there staring at him because you didn't want to say no. I mean, I was, it wasn't necessarily was I was daydreaming. I just, it hadn't completely clicked for me. And he's like, he's waiting. And he then, he kind of picks up on that, like, I'm scared to say no. So he just continues on and he explains the differences, you know, in the, you know, with force, with a knife versus a hammer. And the minute he started to explain it, it all made sense. It clicked. Yeah. So then... Like right after that was, was lunch period and he was the lunch moderator. So, so I'm going to my seat, he pulls me over and he's like, listen, were you paying attention and you didn't know, or were you not paying attention? Because I'm like, I was paying attention. I didn't know. He goes, okay, next time just tell me no, you don't know. It's fine to say you don't know. And I will make sure that we go over multiple examples until it clicks. Again, remember, we're here to learn the concept and why things happen not just to memorize it. And he goes, believe me, I know there's people in that class that don't pay attention. I want to separate, you know, he, he was basically hinting at me. I want to separate those that don't know and want to know versus those that are just there. So, yeah. and it was, it was one of those things like and that directly applies to what we're talking about here. Whereas if we go in uh, to a conversation who is to, with someone who is not in our space, again, whether it's, the technical implementation of a digital analytics or marketing technology platform or the use of that data or applying that information to run a testing program. We're talking to family and friends. If we start spitting out the technical details of how we, we calculate ROI on an ad campaign, how we uh, calculate card abandonment percentages, how we determine how to split a test, people aren't going to get it but if you put it in the more contextual side of that you know we're we're looking to you know explaining what roi is 
from, you know, without getting into the technical formulas, that's how you're able to, to share that information and make it approachable. Yeah. And, and just think what a difference it would make if we took that approach with every topic. You know, it, it reminds me a lot of my high school experience and, and junior high experience around math. I was made to feel stupid. Like this was hard for me. I didn't understand it to the point where I think my mom paid lots of money for me to have a private tutor just to make it through basic math. And it wasn't until I got to college where I had a math teacher and a stats teacher that made it applied and feel real and communicated to me on a level that it made sense. And then all of a sudden something clicked and I'm like, wait a minute, I'm not bad at math. I just had bad teachers that made it unapproachable for me. And not that they were bad teachers. It's just that they didn't think about how to make a topic that someone didn't know a lot about approachable so that they could learn it. And I'm incredibly grateful that I had those instructors in college that were able to do that because I'm not sure where my career would have went had that not happened because I was convinced that I'm I'm never going to understand stats or math. This is too hard for me. It's above my level of intelligence. I can't do it. You know, that's, that's horrifically bad. I, you know, I wonder how many physicists or mechanics or designers or engineers were losing because we've convinced them that they're not good at things that they're actually really good at or have the potential to be really good at, but we've just made it unapproachable to them. Yeah. And that's why, you know, if, if we were to look at working within within digital analytics. So the role you play within digital analytics, if we shift the 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 perspective of the conversation instead of talking to to family and friends, but working within it, you can't assume that everybody you're going to work with, that um, you know, someone, you know, with you know, an architect is going to understand why you're asking for something. They're going to look at it from just the the technical, like, this is more stuff I have to add to a page as it loads. I'm being tasked with making sure that the page loads as quickly as possible, has the, you know, least number of potential issues. Now you're asking me to add something else. Why? You know, like they may just say no, like working with them to understand why and not just saying, well, we need to do X, Y, Z in, in a very detailed fashion. It's this is to help us measure this to help improve the business. And then again, I'm making a very generic statement, but along those lines and making this information accessible to those people that we're going to encounter in our day-to-day in digital analytics, but aren't as in deep as we are. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's such an important thing for us to, to think about in, in our roles, because again, I don't, I don't think we're, we're doing it as a way to keep people out, but if we're, if we're being honest with ourselves and we're looking at the impact that we're having within our, our businesses, um, we need to be realistic and understanding that we're not having the impact that we have the potential to do because we're that high school math teacher that's making this unapproachable to these teams that we're working with and trying to provide value towards. And then we get really frustrated that we're not giving the budget we need. We're not giving getting given the headcount we need. We're not in, being invited to the table where business decisions are being made. And I think our natural humanistic response is we're being mistreated. We're not given what we need, but we need to take a bit of ownership ourselves and say, well, are we creating this? Are we, you know, making this happen because we're not making it approachable? So, you know, just going back to my example of working with my dad, it's like, 
you know, it's like, is it any wonder I don't want to go to work because I'm, I, it's frustrating to me. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm made to feel stupid. Like we, we need to be really gentle with, with people that we're working with and we want to embrace them. But if we're not doing it in such a way that we're addressing those fears and concerns, like no one wants to feel stupid or uncomfortable, right? Like, so we, we need to identify that. And approach it in such a way where we can make it, it meaningful. And if, you know, that can be done by a college instructor for me from a maths and stats standpoint, it can absolutely be done with our, our colleagues in in business um, that we, we can be the ones that strike that spark for them to become more data literate. And and that makes all of us better. That that makes our job more enjoyable. It makes our job more valuable. It should be something that we strive and desire to do. What do you think an analytics team in an organization can do to, to foster that mentality? You know, like I know a lot, a lot of them are already stretched thin as far as these are the weekly reports I need to get out. Monday mornings are a disaster because I got to report the previous week. And now you're telling me I need to help, you know, the rest of the organization understand more about what I'm doing. But, but, but in all honesty, I think that's important to do. But what are some of the things that they could do? It's a great question, and I think it's a chicken and egg effect. Um, in that the 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 more we avoid driving data literacy and embracing people, the more work that is thrust upon our shoulders, which makes it harder to get more people involved, which puts more work on our shoulders. So it's make you know, I it, it's somewhere along the line the cycle has to has to be broken, and someone has to say, well, wait a minute, all these things that are keeping me from educating the rest of the business are. Are, are, are not helping for, you know, get that off of my shoulders, that burden off of my shoulders. And so in, in order for it to work, someone has to break that cycle. And we have to say, um, it is worth investing the time and slowing down. And maybe, and this is a problem with lots of jobs, and we face it internally as well. It's like, ah, it's just faster for me to do it. Yeah, in the short term, but in the long term, those, those debts add up to the point where it's not faster for us to do it. And so we have to be okay saying, it's going to be a little slower for me to teach to do this, but in the long run, it's going to be so much more efficient because if I'm able to raise the level of data literacy of my internal customers, then we get to a point where a lot of the things that I'm spending my day doing, they can self-service because now I've gotten them to the point where they can start answering some of these basic and intermediate questions themselves. I've taught them to be able to do that. And I should feel really good about that. And the awesome thing is, is now that frees me up to use my experience and knowledge to work on even more complex and questions and answers and problems to solve. And that's really where we should be putting our brain power, but we're not because we're so caught up in the cycle of doing um, a lot of things that ultimately we should be comfortable with the business self-serving but we can't until we can slow down to educate them so that they can do it. And again, it's this, if we can't break this cycle, it's, it's never going to happen. And so, so to flip it around then to, to the other way for, for, for individuals that may feel like they have a gap, but they don't know exactly where, where to start. And again, like, you know, there, there's the, the technical side of things and, you know, learning some specific skills, but maybe they just, Maybe they're feeling like, ah, I don't know what I'm missing. Um, where should someone start? 
are you saying where should someone on the outside that's looking to gain more data knowledge start or where should someone that's an expert start in educating those that the the, the former so flipping it around former. from what you were just describing yeah well i think it's finding the right teacher um and that can be hard to do and it kind of has some alignments with some of our previous episodes that i think have aired um our conversation with evan where we talk about yes. the importance of a mentor um and how to find the right mentor um you know hopefully you're in an organization or a place where that's proactively being offered to you but if it's not um then you should have the desire because i think in my I think we all believe that it's important to raise the general public's knowledge of, of data and how it's used that you'll need to put in the effort to go out and find someone. Because I think if you try to find an online course, you go to Coursera or open courseware through like Harvard or Stanford, which is all really great stuff. But at your current level, it's just going to prove a very frustrating experience. And that's what we don't want to have happen. We don't want these initial experiences to be so frustrating that it turns people off and it creates this barrier. Again, I hate to keep going back to this example, but I had such, such this mental block around math that it took a lot to remove that. And I, and I just think, what would I have been able to do had I not had to spend the energy removing that mental block and that negativity I had around the topic and I could just dive into it. And so I think we want to be really, really careful of not building this, um, kind of mental barriers and negative experiences with data with people, um, we, we want to make it very approachable. So again, trying to self-service that early without the basic knowledge or understanding and trying to learn online and through some of these courses, I think is the wrong approach. The right approach is to find a mentor, to find someone that that is a good teacher and understands how to be that bridge translation layer to say, I can take a very complex topic and find a way to communicate with you in such a way that it's not dumbing it down, it's not making you feel stupid, but finding common ground and language in which I can help introduce you to this amazing world. And once you get to a certain point of comfort, then you can go out on your own, then you can go experiment, then you can go, you know, hike that mountain by yourself, and that would be awesome. But let me let us give you the basics first, before you try to go tackle it on your own. Mm -hmm. And I like how you've used the 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 term of not dumbing it down because as as i've gotten older you know i used to use it very flippantly like yeah let's just dumb it down and get get get, get to the root of it but i've started to see it as as more insulting yeah. you know i'm not an idiot other people aren't aren't idiots right it's it, it's translating it into a concept that they can understand giving them additional context it's not dumbing things down. Yeah, we're, we're not unintelligent just because we don't speak the specific language. And we have a desire to learn and communicate. And so help us bridge that, that gap. And by dumbing it down, we're, we're taking an approach that we're talking down to a person, which I don't think is healthy. And we're taking an approach that isn't in the spirit of truly trying to help find common language so we can communicate and solve something to, together, which is ultimately... I think what we're, we're trying to do. And so it's, it's the exact opposite of dumbing it down. It's, it's actually respecting the intelligence of people that we're trying to raise their understanding of this, this one thing. And again, I think it's important for us to realize that we're in that or in the other side of that equation in so many things in life. And we wouldn't want to feel that way. We want, wouldn't want to be talked down that way. So why would we then turn around and do it to someone else just because we have expert expertise in this one narrow, you know, field of study. Yeah.
so as, as we start to wrap up not just this episode but this this theme in general um, i'm going to pose the question that we we wrap up every episode on and what does this all mean in the concept of sustainable analytics i mean this one's a no-brainer hey, what do they say in the sales world that, that, that you're giving me a softball here to hit yeah. it over the I, I'm, I'm laying one up for you <laughs> um I think most of our challenges with sustainable analytics or un, our inability to get to sustainable analytics has to do with lack of data literacy. Um, if you go back and look at implementations or reporting or whatever component that we're working on, so much of the technical debt and, and just failing infrastructure around what we do is because decisions were made by people that lacked basic data literacy. And so if we can increase just the general level of data literacy in our organizations, it's going to make our job as analysts, as implementers, as architects, um, so much easier to do things in a sustainable manner because we're doing things within an ecosystem where we're having conversations and we're making decisions based on um, a shared understanding of the importance of, of data and not just trying to check a box and get things done. And, and that's really at the root of so many sustainable analytics issues is that so many people and companies are just checking a box because we need to get this implementation done. We need to send this data to Google. We need to integrate with Facebook and we're just checking a box and, and we're not thinking about sustainability because we lack the basic data literacy to ask the questions around why, how, you know, is this the right way to do it? Is there a better way to do it? We, we're not even in a place to ask those questions because we lack the basic foundations to be able to, to ask those questions. So from a sustainable analytics perspective, we can't have sustainable analytics without having at least a certain level of, of data literacy. I think they go hand in hand. Very, very well said. And I think that that is a great place to, to, to wrap up here and wrap up this theme and, we have a, you know, we have this and another episode coming um, to to close out the year. Um, we have two great guests coming uh, on our next episode. Excited uh, about that one. Yeah, that that one's going to to be great. Um, but then, you know, like I said, when we kind of started this, it's it's December, so yeah. uh, th this month is going to fly by. So yeah, you know, queuing up some some ways to to kick off twenty twenty three. Good stuff. Yeah. So, all right. So let's go ahead and wrap up here. Um, thanks again. And we'll catch everybody later. See ya. See ya. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of 33 Tangents. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate and review the show on your favorite podcast aggregator so others can find us. If you would like to reach us, you can do so by emailing podcast at 33sticks.com or on the web at 33tangents.33sticks.com. 33 Tangents is a production of 33 Sticks, an analytics boutique.